Welcome to the Fat Fuel Family Podcast, where every week, Danny and Maura Vega discuss topics that help families live a healthy and active lifestyle with their little ones, including nutrition and training, peaceful parenting, education, and mindset. To stay up to date, make sure to hit subscribe on this podcast and check out the blog at www.fatfuel.family. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram at dannyvega.ms, at fatfueledmom, and at fatfueledkids, and fatfueledfamily on YouTube. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fat Field Family Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Vega, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Maura. How are you, my love? I'm doing good today. Yeah. I feel like I always say that. Well, no, you're... you're well, sometimes I... Sometimes you don't. I don't, because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I don't like... Um, we've... You started the... Um, you did a month of Keto Muscle Intelligence, and then you started the beginner program to add some volume. How's that going? Um... It's going well. I do find that I have to change more of the stuff, which is a little bit frustrating because it's a lot of chest and you know, I'm just, <laughs> you know, I just don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, but I still like it. And yeah, the volume's crazy. I just, I can't handle it for some reason. I think I have, my muscles are too big now. Well, that's the thing <laughs> to that handle the volume. I, I got this question and I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I got yeah. this question. Someone was like, why is the advanced less volume than the beginner? And well, I asked you, I was like, how oh, is this beginner? I was like dying. <laughs> yeah. And I tell people it's because, um, beginners don't have, they have to still acquire the skills. So they don't know how to make their muscles maximally contract. Yeah. They're not firing the muscles like that. Exactly. So we built in even, you know, drop, drop sets and things like that to, to get you to be able to mm-hmm. feel your muscles and someone like yourself or myself, of course, um, we have a, a much greater level of intramuscular coordination. So we're able to use more of our muscles away. We have more motor units that are firing. So um, it takes less to stimulate the muscle and it takes less to get um, fatigued or yeah, less to get fatigued. So um, that's one of the things that I noticed. Um, so anyways, we just wanted to give a little plug to Keto Muscle Intelligence because we're seeing people are doing awesome on it. Um, a lot of takeaways, people are are telling us, you know, giving us great feedback. So um, anyways, let's get to our guest because this week's guest, um, we're really excited to talk to him. He reached a a level in his personal development where he felt like he needed to share his knowledge with the world. And that was the creation of his website and the idea of body, mind, empowerment. He's always trying to better himself and grow as a person. Um, Simland spent years of training his body and mind in different formats through physical training, mindfulness, creativity at sniper school, and by taking control of his biology with numerous biohacks. He believes that we should all be striving towards being our best at all times. That is also the purpose of his work. And body-mind empowerment is an idea of holistic personal development. It includes achieving high levels of existence in terms of physical and mental performance, as well as health. He has a popular YouTube channel, podcast, and Instagram account where he shares extremely valuable information, and he's helped thousands of people. And today, we're really excited to have him on. Welcome to the show, Simlan. What's up, man? Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, I'm also glad to be on the show. Yeah, this we, I feel like thanks we, we went back on. and forth. This, is, this has been like in the making since we saw each other at the Metabolic Health Summit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I was uh, super, oh, like, glad to see you in person. And uh, you're definitely a lot jacked, or a lot more jacked. <laughs> Is he more? He's more jacked in person. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's always a good. That's always good to hear because you know that's sometimes funny. people don't live up to the height. Well, so. Instagram can be very weird in that way. I've noticed, like, you can't really tell somebody's 
height or yeah, their size one. sometimes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I've like met a few people that I'm like, whoa, you're much taller or shorter than I thought. <laughs> than you <laughs> yeah, look. <that's> <laughs> Very, Very cool. cool. Well, we always lead off with the question, um, what is the most critical problem you're trying to solve? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Uh, well, I would, I would, I guess it will have to depend on like what area of my life am I talking about? Like if I, if I were to think about, you know, some sort of uh, scientific work, then I would say that uh, the most kind of problematic question I have at the moment has to do with measuring autophagy and uh, right. tr- tr- trying to figure out ways of actually quantifying wow. it and looking at how does it work in humans? Because uh, at the moment it's like very, it's still like a very new area of research and uh, we don't have like very a- accurate ways of uh, knowing how it functions in humans completely. So that w- that's like always kind of my million dollar idea that <laughs> if I were to kind of discover something along the lines of that, then uh, I would make a, a whole lot of money just because it's oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so useful. <laughs> not, not that it's like the main purpose, but yeah, it's, it's, it's somewhat of a topic that uh, other researchers also kind of scratching their heads about. Very you- interesting. Is there any way at all like that we know of at all like um well if if you if you were to want to look at autophagy in real time then you'd have to take like a muscle biopsy and right. uh, kind of measure this thing called autophagic flux which kind of describes the amount of autophagic activity and the amount of autophagy genes in that particular wow. muscle fiber or cell so uh, in humans it's just very difficult or impossible yeah. <laughs> but you can do it at home by just uh, you know, looking at certain biomarkers uh, such as uh, insulin and glucagon or your blood sugar and ketones. So the higher your uh, glucose ketone index is and you're fasting at the same time, then you can predict in some aspects that, okay, my body is uh, in deep ketosis, my blood sugar is low, therefore my insulin is also low. And uh, those are some of the requirements that are needed for autophagy to take place. You need to have like depleted liver glycogen and you need to also be somewhat of a you know semi-fast state with elevated ketones. So it's not like an accurate way of looking at it, but it's definitely like something that you can use to predict some some at least like some aspects of mild autophagy. And let me ask you this because you know you you, you talked about me- measuring insulin, and I think that's one that everybody's you know on the same page about. And I'm I'm interested in in hearing why you know glucagon. I would assume. Um, and, and this is where we have problems when we assume, <laughs> um, but I would assume that, you know, there's an inverse relationship. So um, are there instances where ins- insulin is low and glucagon is not responding? Uh, is, is there anything that like any pathologies or anything that people should be aware of? Um I'm not, I'm not sure exactly about that, but yeah, pro- probably there are some situations like glucagon resistance or something where your body isn't able to respond to it. And uh, but I, w- I, w- I wouldn't think that it's going to affect things like uh, your uh, glucose ketone index because uh, you would sp- still be able to produce some ketones even if your glucagon <laughs> isn't working properly in some in some sense. Uh, I- yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I would assume that, um, that uh, so with glucagon, I was just, I had a thought and it, and it did totally disappeared. <laughs> I was, so if, if someone has glucagon resistance, is the main issue that they're just way too catabolic, like their bodies are not 
able to, I would assume there's, there's some atrophy there. What are some of the things like glucagon resistance? I've, I've heard that in the past, but I've never really looked into it. Um, yeah, like I, I would say, I think it's, it, it can manifest itself in both ways. Like if your, if your body is producing too much glucagon all the time, then that's just going to lead to this, um, you know, over exaggerated, uh, Cat- catabolism where you're breaking down glycogen all the time irresponsibly or uncontrollably and uh, that's 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 usually happens yeah like in some pathologies like related to blood sugar issues and such uh, but uh, like uh, yeah i think uh, the glucagon aspect it's just like a way of kind of me- or like it's guesstimating some aspects of uh, autophagy it's not like probably the most important aspect because the glucagon and glucagon and insulin insulin themselves they're actually these reflections of uh, mTOR and AMPK which both affect insulin and glucagon so to say so if your if your insulin is low then your mTOR is also low and uh, mTOR is the the growth switch so to say that uh, gets activated when uh, your body is in this anabolic mode of growing and uh, that's where autophagy cannot take place versus on the other hand if mTOR is low and AMPK is high, then uh, that's where autophagy is, you know, allowed to take pay- place. And usually, it coincides with fasting and uh, low calorie intakes, exercise, uh, and and some forms of like a ketogenic diet as well. That's really cool. That's really I, cool. I, I, and I, I'm glad you brought up um, this this glucagon, insulin, and mTOR AMPK thing because it seems like they're both very similar in that. Obviously, we 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 want AMPK activated because that's that that's going to trigger like more lipolysis. It's going to uh, you know cause uh, heat and and all these other things. But um, yeah. is there? I wonder. I'm just curious. Is there like um, a, a pretty solid relationship between the two? Like you could almost expect if mTOR is low, um, insulin is going to be low, and if AMPK is high, I, I don't know if AMPK would also somehow indicate that glucagon would be high but i'm just curious about that one um you you would you you know um it's not necessarily uh, always that that uh, simple because you can have high mTOR even on a ketogenic diet you know if you're eating uh, let's say protein and meat because uh, mTOR is stimulated not only by insulin and carbs but also by uh protein and immune amino acids so it's 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 not like a bad thing you know mTOR itself is very useful it's just that uh you don't want to be stimulating it all the time and you'd probably want to have like some times right. where you're you know taking a break from it and uh, usually that's you know happens when you're fasting you're not eating six times a day etc so and, and there's also the difference that the macronutrient ratios of what you eat and the food combinations of what you eat those are also going to affect the uh, let's say the outcome of mTOR and both AMPK. So, for for instance, if you're eating just protein uh, in the form of like meat or eggs or fish something, then um, the mTOR the mTOR spike is gonna be there, but uh, it's not gonna be like this super massive spike of anabolism and muscle protein synthesis that you experience by combining like carbs plus protein. So usually carbs carbs are going to um, kind of magnify the the effects of what you're eating like they're going to spike the insulin higher and that's in turn going to raise mTOR a lot higher as well versus if you were to be just stimulating mTOR with protein then the mTOR spike is going to be first of all it's going to be much smaller and it's not going to last that long so yeah uh, like the mTOR itself is just responsive to uh, 
excess energy, uh, whether that be from carbs or protein or even fat. And it's just that with, with insulin and carbs, that is going to kind of throw off the roof, so to say, figurative speaking, or, you know, make it, make it, fire, make it, make it shoot up a lot higher than uh, usually. And it's so interesting to see how, how, how much carbs and protein have a synergistic effect on what it does to insulin. Like you could, you could see clearly like that protein, when you just eat protein, there's, there's, you know, like you said, there's a, there's an insulin response, but it's, it's short lived. It's transient. It's not that it's a blip. But yeah. if you add carbs to that, it's amazing how yeah. those two together, the amino acids plus the, the glucose really, really cause a strong insulin response. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And, uh, and also like the absorbability of the foods, like if the carbs are dextrose powder and whey protein powder, <laughs> then the spike is, you know, the absorption rate is much higher as well. So right. versus, versus something like steak or, uh, or fish that's, you know, much more slower and it digests right. over, over the course of several hours. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love, by the way, I have to just point this out because I think the imagery is beautiful and it's just so easy to grasp the way you write from the beginning in your book, you frame it on like basically life is just this interplay between these anabolic processes and these catabolic processes. And we need to understand when we should be in one and when we should be in the other. And we can't be too much on one side, can't be too much on the other. I think right off the bat, that's just so well just described for people to understand when they're trying to figure out how to how to you know make sense of of all of this whether whether it's the protein um you know ratios or even just everything like just understanding exercise and all these things i think it's beautiful man i gotta give Mm. you a shout out for that one well thanks well and and it's so true in the sense that you know when the average person who doesn't have any background in nutrition or dieting then they, first of all, they may come across the standard fitness advice or the mainstream fitness advice that enforces this like very frequent eating and uh, high protein, high carb dieting. And, but, but, you know, on the other hand, you have some people who are very into the longevity research or they're afraid of eating protein or animals, etc. And, you know, there's this, both of them are kind of afraid or both of them are somewhat misled in some aspects, like they're, 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 kind of gravitating towards the extremes without realizing that it has to be a balance in some aspects and you have to find uh, a way of you know finding how do you uh, leverage the positive sides of both both ends of the spectrum which are like catabolism as well as anabolism because you don't want to be too catabolic by you know losing all your muscle and you don't want to be too anabolic by just growing and building all the time yeah I, I, it reminds me of, um, there's a guy, Jonathan Shane, he's, uh, he's got an account on Instagram and he's a friend of ours and he just, he just created a video that was really cool. It was basically, he was talking to himself and he was, he was like, you know, I want to talk a little bit about calories, um, and, you know, hormones. And so one version of him is like, so, so do calories matter? And he's like, yeah, calories matter. And then, so then he's like on the other side, so, so hormones don't matter. And he's like, well, hormones matter too. And he's like, <laughs> is it like him against him? Yeah. And he's like, you <laughs> mean right. to tell me that calories and hormones matter? And then he like his head explodes, and it's like it's That's it's awesome. really funny. But I'm so happy that he said that because yeah, it's true. This is what we try to get people to think. It's 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 amazing to see how um, something comes out, whether it's a scientific paper or someone talks about uh, some subject. And then all of a sudden, the pendulum swings wildly to one end, yeah. and then it takes some time for people to be like, oh, okay. 
that's actually just something that we should add to our knowledge base and maybe just be aware of versus cutting something completely out. Right. Mm. Yeah, like people just want to hear these black and white answers. They do. Uh, they do. Yeah, yes or no, yes or no answers, whether that be about exercise or uh, diet. That this should be the thing that I do, that I have to do for the rest of my life, and everything else <laughs> that doesn't fit this narrative is wrong. You know, but the, the truth <laughs> is that everything is somewhat context dependent, and it's never yes or no. It's more like this or that and uh, kinda and maybe and you know yeah. there's very yeah. very vague vague context dependent answers which people don't just want to hear yeah and they're not they're not used to you know scientific language where it's like this may happen or you know no one ever speaks when you talk about science um even if there's something you know where there's like a mountain of evidence on one side people are still going to say you know this this seems to be what's happening um but you know it's not it's never gospel it's never definitive there's always the science is always evolving and there's always more context and and um uh, what's the word nuance to be added yeah for sure like uh, you know you you wouldn't think you know big first of all because uh when you look at these large studies then um, it kind of the results themselves uh project the you know average person or the average results whether in in any aspect and if if you think about it, then I don't really consider myself as an average person. <laughs> right. Not not to brag, not to brag or anything. But, <laughs> but it's just like I'm not the average scientific, or the, not not the average subject in scientific studies. Like mo- most of the time, the, those average person, average average people, they're like you know not really paying that much attention to their diet. They're not exercising that much, and they're not sleeping enough either. So. It's very like nuanced, like you said, and uh, take everything with it like a grain of salt. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned sleep because we're, we're going to talk about that today for sure. But let's first yeah. talk <laughs> about, because um, I don't even know the whole story, so I'm kind of curious myself. Can you give our listeners a little background on you and your, your diet history and, and all the things that have contributed to your current nutrition philosophy, if you want to call it that? Hmm. Uh, well, yeah, like I don't have any like uh, history in disease or something like that. I've uh, I've always been somewhat somewhat you know healthy, and during my uh, high school years, I just got into weightlifting and uh, started paying attention to diet nutrition. At first, I was doing like a regular if it if it fits your macros and uh, some <laughs> some some semi paleo type of diet where I would you know naturally exclude some grains and not eat processed food. But, uh, you know, uh, over the course of years, I just uh, stumbled upon like some biohacking techniques and uh, intermittent fasting was my first kind of uh, actual, um, you know, dietary strategy that I started to implement consistently. Then I moved on to keto. And uh, yeah, like during my college years, I just tried it as an experiment. uh, But I noticed like a huge you know, huge difference in my mental, mental, mental uh, activities during the day. And I just, you know, fell in love with that. And I wanted to, um, you know, implement it into consistently into my routine. Uh, then uh, I've also done like cyclical keto. I've done targeted keto and uh, I've done lazy keto and uh, I've, done, I've done strict keto. But yeah, usually I, at the moment I'm gravitating more towards, uh, I'm not like uh, 100% keto all the time. And uh, but I do have like some a few days where I consume some carbs, uh, but uh, most of the time I'm still keto and uh, doing intermittent fasting. Also, like over the course of uh, by now, it's like seven seven years or something. Wow! Wow! 
That's awesome. For the carbs, do you do them around your workouts? Like what is the, what is your, um, like, how do you go about the carbs? Like what's the reason right. and, and, and how, yeah. how do you do it? How do you do it? Yeah, I, I always use only carbs as a, as for like only performance and, uh, some high intensity exercise. Like, uh, I'm not, I'm not like sitting on a couch and just eating pizza. I'm right. usually, if I were to do like a carb, carb refeed day, then, uh, I'll always, um, combine it with either like a heavier resistance training on that day or the next day, so to say, so that the carbs right. are just used for the workout itself. Right. And, uh, and I'll, I'll always make sure that the carbs are like clean and, uh, low fat carbs in the sense that you don't want, if you're having carbs, then you don't never want to combine them with fats. Right. Uh, because, because first of all, that's going to cause like some form of insulin resistance is going to predispose you the carbs to be stored as fat. And, uh, it also like, it's also going to keep you out of ketosis for longer versus, versus if you had, if you have, were to have like high amounts of carbs, but low, low fat, then, uh, even though those carbs will kick you out of ketosis, you'll also get back into ketosis faster because you don't have like excess fat that slows down the absorption. The carbs will be just refill, refilling the muscle glycogen and you'll probably get back into uh, ketosis by like the next day. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because um, that's something that I think someone who doesn't have that big picture uh, mentality may miss. So um, someone who is, let's say they they eat a bunch of carbs because it's their carb up day, but then maybe the wheels fall off the <laughs> the wagon and they they just are they just start eating and with no ris- like no consideration of fat, and so then right. this person may may all of a sudden now be eating a, a day that they have high fat and high carbs. And then maybe they're checking their, their glucose, maybe two, two hours after their last meal. And their glucose may not be that elevated because of the fat slowing down the absorption, but then they wake up in the morning and they have a ridiculously high fasted blood sugar, which is just setting up the next day for just, it's going to be a rough day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, if you have, let's say, you know, chocolate or ice cream or pastries, then uh, first of all, the uh, blood sugar will stay elevated for longer. It's going to cause some mild insulin resistance, and uh, it will probably uh, like um, you know uh, disrupt your sleep, etc. As well, because uh, you have like this ma- massive, massive elevated blood sugar for longer. So yeah, like I feel like a lot of people in let's say the keto community, they tend to have like this negative connotation about carbs, but that's or like even like carb refeed days. But that's that's only because usually most people who have carb refeeds tend to have like this junk food a little bit, and right. uh, that's where like the negative experience tends to come from as well. Versus if you have like you know the boring carbs <laughs> or exactly. the uh, the whole food carbs, then uh, usually in my own experience, like I don't I don't even notice any difference in my blood sugar. Like I don't have any hypoglycemia or uh, this. Usually in the past, like if I if I if I was doing like strict keto for months and then i would taste like a piece of potato in a in a soup at a restaurant or something then i would immediately notice oh this has carbs or something i, I feel like slightly worse because of that my body was so some you know like they say that prolonged keto causes mild insulin resistance just because the body would prefer to use ketones instead of carbs yeah and that's that's exactly what happens in some aspects. Your body becomes inefficient to metabolize the carbs. But now that I'm doing the carb ups more regularly, now that I don't notice any difference at all uh, from uh, eating carbs and uh, you know even from fasting. So I'm always 
this the energy levels are so stable because the body has you know built up its uh, metabolic flexibility to like a larger like, larger extent. Man, I, I, I'm I'm in the same boat, and I think we we covered this when I was on your podcast, and um, it's so true. Like even. I would even go a step further and say that not only do I feel like it, it gives me whatever it's giving me, whether it's, you know, the, the, the fiber or just, you know, keeping my, my gut populated with the more diverse, you know, flora. Um, but on top of that, my fasted numbers are, are consistently lower. And it seems like, like by adding these carbs periodically, I, I improve my insulin sensitivity, which I think people should consider, especially if they're athletes, because, you know, you want to be able to use both fuel sources efficiently yeah. if you, if you if you want to do more than just one type of training. Yeah. And uh, this doesn't, you know, go to, go to say that keto is bad or that carbs are good. I think that uh, yeah. that's yeah. another the, false dichotomy. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a, you can, you know, easily gravitate back into the other side. I think the point is that it, it's, it's very very useful and important to maintain this semi-ketogenic state most of the time where your insulin is low, your blood sugar is low, your ketones are high, but at the same time, infrequent these uh, variations in your diet, like you're having this these carbs and you're having like this fiber, then that just causes like a beneficial response just because it's so infrequent and the body kind of takes advantage of it. And versus if we were to be staying on carbs all the time, then you wouldn't experience that and you would actually experience the negative side. So I, I think like the magic, the magic kind of happens in the variation, uh, not, 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 not so much in like the stagnation or uh, the consistency. The, there has to be some variation so that the body would uh, experience this positive stress or hormesis, you know, in some sense. Right. Yeah. Like the ability to, to switch back and forth because your body's doing it um consistently. Um, yeah. I've been, I've been kind of dipping my toes in the carb cycling as well, strictly for performance as well, because, um, I have noticed over time on a ketogenic diet that I kind of hit a wall when I'm doing high intensity or a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I've been, I've been kind of, um, digging into that as well, but it's very important what you said about the whole foods, because, yeah. Um, it's true. Like when you go for the junk food, like a donut, like that has fat and carbs, like you're not going to, you know, it's going to be really hard to find a real whole food that has fat and carbs. It's kind of impossible. Like mostly you don't find that in nature. So that's very important, I think as well. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like evolutionarily, your, 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 your body is kind of geared towards prioritizing both fats and carbs together because it right. it's, it, it kind of indicates that you know there's plenty of energy and uh, you should actually be more, more motivated to eat it versus you know um, in nature you know there's only winter time where you're eating keto primarily and summertime where you're eating pr- more more carbs and less fats so right. it's it's a, it's a very conflictive uh, message that you're sending to a body if you're having them both at the same time. Yeah, so true. Um, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about autophagy, which is your thing. You've wrote, you've written an amazing book on it. Um, however, a lot of people, I think, have this misconception that the only way to achieve autophagy is through extended dry fasting. Um, or, but even, or even just water That fasting. isn't, right, or, or water fasting. Um, right, right. Um, yeah, but that's not the only way, is it? Um, can you explain some other ways that we can activate autophagy or mimic fasting without actually fasting? 
Yeah, for sure. Like uh, autophagy itself is uh, is this. You know, if I've as I've you know started to research more about it, then I realized that it's more like a very central aspect of healthy cellular functioning, and it's very much linked to everything related to cell, cellular clearance, even fat burning. Uh, it's related to sleep. It's uh, yeah linked with circadian rhythms and yeah general metabolic health. So usually they think that you know fast and you know of course fasting and calorie restriction are one of the best ways of activating autophagy because you're putting your body under energy stress. But at the same time, you can mimic that same energy stress with things like exercise, uh, heat saunas, even like uh, a cup of coffee can uh, do the same. But the main idea is that everything, everything that can um, you know, increase the body's energy demands while at the same time depleting the body from certain essential nutrients that can uh, you know, signal the body to start ramping up autophagy. So autophagy itself is this process where you're uh, recycling your cellular material and uh, kind of taking out those things that aren't necessary so that the ones that are good could survive. So this is, in, in, in some aspects, it's like, uh, like Fight Club or uh, <laughs> your, like nat- natural selection of your uh, cells that, okay, we're kind of running low on our uh, you know, or our nutrients, therefore we have to cut corners a little bit and uh, start taking out the ones that are just dragging us down. Right. So one of the things that I, I wanted you to just spend a little bit of time on because um, I have made the mistake of using them interchangeably because not because I think they're one and the same, but because um, it's just one of those things that like when autophagy happens, um, a lot of the time you see apoptosis. So can you can you explain the difference between autophagy and actual apoptosis? Because they're very similar. Right, yeah. Well, apoptosis translates into programmed cell death, and uh, that can refer to anything that is you know happening in your body. Oh, apoptosis is almost just like predetermined fate of all your cells like uh, all cells are programmed to die in some aspects and uh, it can be also you know they can cause some uh, malignancies in inside the body but autophagy itself is like a it's it's uh, self-eating or self-recycling the process that uh, gets activated when um, when you're under energy deprivation so to say so it's not always um um, it's not predetermined in a sense. You can activate it uh, in, in any given in any given time by just uh, promoting some uh, some of the some of the ways that I uh, just mentioned earlier that promote autology. Yeah, that's. I'm glad you mentioned that, man. Because again, like I said, I, I just I like you said, apoptosis is programmed cell death, and and this is something that we are kind of triggering with a lifestyle choice, whether it's fasting. I noticed, like for me. I'm pretty much always in a deficit, you know, but I, I like the way I feel in a deficit. So, um, and, and I'm able to maintain my lean body mass by always being in a deficit. And I think that that contributes, it gives me more leeway to add more protein or, um, you know, do certain things that, that some people can't do because they are in an energy surplus or they are much closer to their, their resting metabolic rate. Yeah, that's true. So, all right, this is awesome. I, I want to talk about something that's uh, <laughs> near and dear to your heart. Yeah, <laughs> poor thing. Um, which, which I'm, I'm actually, I just had a, a doctor's appointment with a friend of mine who has um, a, a, a 
like a, an optimization clinic here in Tampa. And, you know, I'm looking into um, possibly starting some peptides um, for my, my whole sleep saga. And mm-hmm. um, sleep is, is a, a, a very overlooked um, in a lot of people's lives and, and it has a huge impact on our health. So what are, what are some of the ways you see sleep deprivation or low quality sleep can, can hinder ketosis, can impact our health? There's a lot of things that people may be eating perfectly, but they they don't have that stress management and sleep. Or eating piece. too late. Or eating too late. Yeah, that's a big one. Because yep. that's something I've had to change. Yeah. Like I was eating way too late. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's um, it's a complicated topic, and I would say that sleep is is actually more important than diet. Like yeah. you can you can you can have the perfect diet and still be unhealthy if you don't get like good quality sleep, and you can get away with a bad diet as long as your sleep is on point to a certain extent, of course. Uh, but yeah, like I mentioned, sleep can uh, disrupt a lot of uh, you know attempts to get into ketosis or even trigger autophagy. So usually. Uh, you know, the, the, one of the reasons why people may, you know, not be able to lose weight because of sleep deprivation has to do with increased blood pressure and increased cortisol. So even just, even just a single night of sleep deprivation or sleeping, you know, badly, that can, you know, make your biomarkers that almost equal to that of like a pre-diabetic and increase your uh, insulin resistance and increase your blood sugar. So that's, that's a pretty big pretty immediate effect most people tend to see that you if their blood sugar tends to be higher in the morning then uh, it's either because of you know not sleeping enough or not sleeping properly or eating too close to bedtime which mm. uh, which in turn can uh, decrease sleep quality as well as uh, elevate the morning uh, blood sugar so usually it's a it's a pretty good idea to wait at least like a few hours uh, before before going to bed where you finish your meal and uh, you know start fasting in the sense because uh, yeah like it's very common for uh, intermittent fasting people to uh, skip breakfast and eat like a ma- massive dinner um, but uh, that's you know th- that's that's fine to a certain extent but you have to make sure that it's not going to disrupt your sleep quality and uh, it's not too close to bedtime because uh, first of all it's like uncomfortable and second of all if you're having to digest all the food during the night then you're not really going into like a deeper stage of sleep. Right. And uh, you're not even actually um, getting the uh, the aspect of autophagy or growth hormone because uh, those things, like m- the majority of autophagy and growth hormone get released during uh, the first hours of sleep. And uh, if you're kind of missing out on that, then you're just, you know, <laughs> not not really maximizing uh, your uh, fullest, fullest o- o- potential. Awesome. So I have another question on that. So I, I want to know, what you're doing. So what are the, some of the things that you do to be proactive about putting your body in the best condition and the best environment to get quality sleep? Um, well, yeah, like uh, I'm kind of fortunate in the sense that uh, I live, the, live in this very natural environment uh, with, with no like cars or no, <laughs> no wow. distractions in the car. Reminds like, me of that. There's a, there's an Island in the Netherlands. Have you ever been there where they, they, they don't, you have to get in there by like, you have to cross a bridge and there's only bicycles. Is it a similar <laughs> environment for you? No, not, not that, <laughs> I, not, not that isolated. I still have like a nearby town and, uh, and so on, but uh, I live in the countryside. So I don't have like a, a bunch of like blue light outside I don't have like a bunch of EMFs surrounding me, so I'm kind of fortunate in that sense. Wow! Uh, but um, I think you can still be, you know, healthy and get a good night's sleep in the city. You just have to kind of make 
a few adjustments, such as making sure that you uh, block out as much as blue, as much as the blue light as possible, because a blue light interferes with your circadian rhythms and it, it interferes with the production of uh, melatonin, the sleep hormone. So blue light comes from like your smartphone, your uh, lamps, your laptop screens, you know, the traffic lights, all those things. They suppress your body's uh, melatonin production. And if you're not producing melatonin at night, then it's just going to take like a lot, a lot longer for you to fall asleep and uh, your deep sleep quality will also be somewhat reduced. So you can kind of biohack it by using these blue blocking glasses and installing like these different uh, computer filters. So that's, I think that's the, probably the most important part when it comes to sleep optimization in my own experience, uh, making sure that you have like the light, the right light environment because light has a huge impact on uh, sleep, sleep wakefulness cycles. But th- then there's also things like, um, like I mentioned, not eating too close to bedtime and uh, making sure that uh, you, you don't have like a bunch of food sitting in your stomach. Uh, but then there's also things like, uh, uh, you know, even lowering the temperature of the room. Yes, I was or, about or, to ask or, or that. The bed. <laughs> because, <laughs> we we got that very well here. Well, that's something that I've changed because I grew up in a house full of women and we had our air very toasty, you know, 78 <laughs> Right. And, and so compromised thyroid function too. <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm sure that we probably suffered somehow, but yeah, so that's something that has changed. And, and now I notice it when I go to visit my mom and she's got her house hot. I'm like, mom, trust me, you're going to sleep so much better. Like you have to lower the air. Yeah. yeah. I, I myself have noticed that I sleep better at a colder, colder environment, but some people say that they sleep better at a hot one. So there may be some individual diff- variants, but uh, in general, they do say that in order to uh, fall asleep, then uh, you need to lower your core temperature by like a few degrees. So you can even take like a um, somewhat of a cold shower or uh, even like a hot shower before bed, and that can lower your core temperature. And uh, yeah, like there are specific like technologies like the chili pad uh, or something like that, or like even like an air fan in your room that can uh, do the same effect. We do that. We, we, the, the Danny does like everything. Degrees. You should see how Danny goes to sleep. He looks like a robot. Yeah, I have. I have. A, well, you haven't been doing the mouth taping, but you and should. And I haven't been doing the ground, the grounding bracelet either for a while. Uh, <laughs> but I think I might throw those back in to see. I, I'm grounding right now. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the grounding aspect is also really good. Like lowering the, uh, the electric charge before going to bed. Because that helps you to go into the parasympathetic uh, state. Love that. Yeah, these are all such good tips. Um, All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, so you create a lot of content around how to personalize nutrition and tips and tricks to optimize a low-carb, high-fat lifestyle. If you had someone who is just starting, what are your like top three to five tips that you would give them to avoid them stumbling at the beginning, which is so such a hard thing to go through, especially with low-carb? Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, probably the biggest rookie mistake is just not getting enough electrolytes or uh, not getting enough salt. So uh, usually you can fix a lot of the keto flu simple symptoms by just increasing your sodium and electrolyte consumption. So uh, yeah, maybe saying to them that you don't have to be worried about salt and you can definitely uh, get more salted water or something like that. That's going to be a pretty easy fix. Then there's also um, maybe 
not kind of expecting to uh, see massive results right away. Like you shouldn't be expecting to kind of, uh, you know, shut, shoot down the door with guns blazing and being be feeling awesome all the time because initially your body is, you know, somewhat under adapted to ketosis and it needs to build up its uh, fat adaptation over the course of some time. So I would say that you shouldn't expect to, uh, you know, see immediate results and just be more patient to a certain extent. And then there's also like maybe adjusting your training a little bit because, and it yeah. it, 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 may, it may depend on like what, what kind of a person I'm talking to. If I'm talking to already some kind of a person who is doing like hit training and lifting weights, etc., then to them I would say that you need to kind of dial down your intensity and not be so uh, hardcore. Right, <laughs> like, right. Uh, like at first you are just having to uh, maybe reduce the amount of reps or reduce the total intensity a little bit, just allow the body to uh, get used to ketones. But if I'm talking to someone who isn't exercising at all, then for them, I would definitely suggest some form of uh, resistance training, uh, just because it's you know generally so healthy, and it will help to uh, you know get used to the ketones and uh, adapt to the fat metabolism better. I love that. Those are all great tips. Um, I love that. Um, all right. So I want to, you've competed in bodybuilding, which is something that is pretty awesome because that's a really hard, like mental challenge, I feel like. Um, so, you know, personally what goes into that, what do you see are the main differences for someone who's just looking to feel good and improve their health versus someone who wants to optimize performance and body composition? Um, well, I think, uh, for someone who is who is trying to compete at bodybuilding or get a, like a really aesthetic physique, then for them they should expect to you know make more sacrifices and right. uh, definitely feel more uncomfortable in a sense because uh, you, you're gonna you know it's it's true that keto is very popular as a weight loss tool and a lot of see a lot of people see great results from fat loss for, because of doing it. But usually those people aren't, you know, your sub 10% body fat people. <laughs> They're usually these average per- people who don't already have like a top-notch physique. So right. in, order, in order to reach those really 99% of people who are, you know, under 7% and 5% body fat, then you still have to suffer in some sense. And you're going to have to make more sacrifices like, you know, either increasing your cardio or just eating less. But on keto, it's generally somewhat easier, like... I talk with Robert Sykes as well about it, and he agrees that on keto, the mental clarity and uh, increased willpower and satiety is just much more different than uh, dieting on like the if it fits your if it fits your macros approach or the regular bodybuilding diet. So yeah, yeah I, I would say it's it's somewhat easier to reach this very lean uh, lean physiques on keto, but uh, it's still not not gonna be like a walk in the park. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah, it's never gonna be. You, that's the thing. Like, it's always gonna hurt. You know, we even had had to like tell that to people when they came for the carnivore keto cut. Oh yeah, because yeah, that's carnivore. A diet. Yeah, it's still a diet. It's still meant for cutting. So we're still in a deficit, and there will be some hunger. It has. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what has to happen to you know get to that point. Yeah, and I think uh, that's uh, one of the problems of all these diets. In some sense, is that y- you're supposed to. In a way, you're supposed to convey it as this awesome diet that you know you feel awesome all the time, and it helps you to lose lose fat effortlessly. And which, to a certain extent, is. 
But uh, yeah, like um, most people don't want to say that it's actually, it does take some effort and it, yeah. it, it, it becomes difficult at times. Yeah, right. No matter what. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's definitely easier, I will say. It's, it's definitely yeah. easier. Because like yeah. even in the those bodybuilding diets, like the, you know, we've been, I've been dieting forever, so I know. But it's just, <laughs> yeah, you're just always hungry. It's, it's much easier, but there is still some effort that has to go in. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of, a lot of the times, the hunger and the insatiety, it's it's not that much caused by the energy deficit, but much more like the the habits of eating in some way. Like uh, if you are, yes. let's say, less strict on your diet, like off-season diet, then you are more, uh, you can have like larger portion sizes, etc. But when it comes to dieting, then you just have to reduce the size of the portions or skip a meal every once in a while, etc. And right. you, you, you kind of, discomfort or the uh, resistance comes from just breaking the habit. Yeah. And That's so true. Good point. Changing, changing the routine, not because of the particular energy deficit, because, you know, we carry tons and tons of energy with us all the time. And uh, it's just that, that we psychologically become somewhat attached to uh, the, the food volume or the, or the food uh, density. Yeah. And it's even like the act, like the ritual of it. That's yeah. so true. That's so true. So if you're used to like eating something after dinner and like all of a sudden you have to take that out, I yeah. can see where it's like, cause I mean, I would have this conversation with Danny who has a hard time dieting yeah. sometimes. And I just, you know, I've just, I grew up as a dancer. So I was just, I just have more experience restricting, you know, it's not a, a, the best thing, but I do. And so I was just like, you're not really hungry right now. Are you like your actual hunger, like actual hunger pain in your stomach? And no. he's like, no, I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like that, that like routine, that routine thing of like going yeah. and grabbing something. Yeah. And then you can kind of flip the switch in your head, uh, kind of right. tr- trying to, trying to brainwash yourself of saying <laughs> it, it's, it's actually okay in a sense that, I realize that it's not caused by actual hunger. It's more like just cravings. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes one of the things that I recently said in, in these posts, I'm doing some, some tips, you know, uh, in conjunction with the keto muscle intelligence is like, you know, if you do feel like your appetite is, is kicking up a little bit um, and, and you know that it's not real hunger, just keep in mind that you're burning fat right now. And that might, that might help you, you know, like I'm, I'm in a fat burning yeah, like state. The thought of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that, that's encouraging. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. And, uh, the problem is that on keto, you may feel less hungry. So then it's yeah, like, yeah. am I really burning fat or am I just food? Yeah. Myself? <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Um, let me, let me ask you this. I'm really curious. And I know that this all depends on what phase you're in or what the current goals are, but what does a typical day look like for you right now in terms of eating and supplementation? Um, well, um, I've been doing, let's say some form of uh, one meal a day for three, me- three years. And, uh, like, it's not like a strict OMAD, but I do eat like maybe over the course of two two, sometimes three hours in the evening. And during the day, I just uh, drink some water and uh, a little bit of coffee in the noon. And yeah, most of the time I'm just uh, eating most of my calories in the post-workout after a workout. But uh, on some days, like if I'm trying to uh, progress in strength training and build muscle, then uh, I'll have like a protein shake during the actual workout. And I've seen like a huge, massive... uh, you know, it helps to uh, overcome this uh, problem of building muscle on OMAD because it's very difficult to do it if you don't have like 
any any protein or any calories in your system uh, during the day and you're fasting all the time. So I've just used this uh, small protein shake during the workout as a way of uh, breaching that chasm and uh, kind of giving myself a boost of energy during the workout as well as increasing the amount of amino acids in the bloodstream as to protect against the muscle catabolism. So I've seen I've seen like progressively good results from that. But yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing like OMAD, uh, but it's still still keto, uh, somewhat keto. Like I'll have like um, some some meat, some eggs, some fish, some veg- vegetables, some fermented foods. And yeah, that's that's kind of basically it. That's awesome, man. I'm glad you brought up the thing with OMAD because, you know, there's there's the way I see it, there's the two most important things. Like if we're talking about building muscle is, you know, is the protein being absorbed? And I think that for sure, we can say that we can absorb massive amounts of protein. But then when you dig in a little bit deeper, we have to think about like, how can I optimize protein synthesis? And that seems to do much, much better when you have, when you paste the protein a little bit, when you, when you add a little bit of more protein, like maybe whether it's two to three meals, uh, it seems like that's, that optimizes protein synthesis. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, to trigger muscle protein synthesis, then you need like um, 30 grams of protein to maximize it. And, uh, even if you're eating like 120 or 150 grams of protein in OMAD, then you're still not going to have like 150 grams of worth of uh, muscle protein synthesis, you're still going to get the 30 grams of worth of muscle protein synthesis <laughs> because there's like this limiting cap after which your body is not going to progressively increase more uh, or increase muscle protein synthesis. So in order to, uh, you know, start building more muscle, then you would have to have those spikes of protein synthesis more frequently during the day. Uh, but yeah, like whether or not it's necessary depends on your goals and uh, what you're trying to do with it. Yeah, like if you are training harder, and uh, you're in this phase of your wanting to build more muscle, then it would be better to have like more frequent, uh, more like more frequent uh, protein feedings. Like you don't definitely need to go to the extent of six meals a day, but like two to three is uh, like the probably most most um, optimal for both health as well as uh, muscle growth. But yeah, with OMAD, you you can do it once, which probably is not going to be ideal if you're training hard. And uh, that's why I'm using like the protein shake to kind of get like a second surge of the synthesis. Fantastic, man. And are you, is there like, um, do you like whey protein concentrate or are you just, just choosing like an, an isolate? What, what type of uh, shake are you having? Uh, I'm having this brand from the UK that is like a superfood whey protein blend with, without any of the artificial sweeteners and without any of the other harmful stuff. So nice. it has... It has like whey protein, it has ginger, it has raw cacao, it has ashwagandha, it has BCAs, all those those amazing superfood stuff. And the brand is also uh, primal alchemy and it's Vitruvian protein. So it's like a superfood blend and it's pretty damn uh, tasty as well. So it's like a very chocolatey. Oh, nice, man. I like that. That sounds good. Well, um, let me ask you about this because I, I can't neglect this one. And we, we shortly talked about it again, also on your podcast. And, you know, part of your website and your platform is about mind empowerment and overall mindset. And we've talked about your love for stoicism. I'm curious, how did you come across it? And how do you feel it helps build a stronger mind? Hmm. Yeah, I totally love stoicism. And uh, we talked about it quite uh, quite a lot on my podcast. But 
generally, I think I stumbled upon it when I first heard about uh, Ryan Holiday's yes. uh, The Obstacle is the Way book. Same here. Oh, yeah. Same here. Yeah. Which, is a, which is an amazing introduction to Stoicism and definitely like one of the most valuable books you'll ever, ever read, I think. Uh, but I think Stoicism in general helps you to just deal with the fact that you're going to come across you know, resistance and uh, unfavorable situations and even like chaos, complete chaos and uh, misfortune. So you're kind of helping yourself to realize that it's part of the way things work and there's nothing you can really do about it. The only thing you can do is to just prepare yourself in advance and uh, kind of cultivate your mind to uh, deal with it before it even happens. So like, you know, the remembrance of death, of realizing that you're going to die, that's a huge motivator for you to... uh, be very cautious with how you spend your time and do not waste your time on uh, stupid activities or stu- stu- right. stupid, pe- stupid people or, uh, <laughs> or something like that. So it's, it's a very good way to, yeah, make sure that uh, the, the time you do spend is high quality and that you're not really affected by the ups and downs uh, of life. Yeah, yeah I love that. And I think one of the other things too, like I, I think of, I've heard people say before, like, you know, yoga is, is like it, what it does is it prepares you for death. And I think stoicism is also a great way to prepare for death because, you know, when you just realize that this is the way things are, you know, yeah. it's not the way you want them to be. It's the way things are. And, and you, you, you find peace and you make the best mm-hmm. out of, of today and you accept the, of course, the amor fati part is very important as well. You right. accept what comes and you realize that it's all useful and it's all helpful. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I can see how that's, that fits in perfectly into your platform. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, like um, I think there's, in the modern world, the summit of this, uh, in addition to like hedonism and uh, cultivating pleasure all the time, there's also this idea of uh that uh, you are somehow superior to others and uh, that uh, everything is supposed to be handed to you on a civil platter and you know there's there's food always in the fridge and uh, there's a roof over your head all the time and uh, everything is supposed to happen all the time so whenever uh, it's 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 like ignorance in some sense that whenever people experience hardship or you know someone someone screams at them in traffic or something they feel very uh, insulted or like how dare how do, how do they dare to <laughs> right. how they, how they, <laughs> they take how it personally they, yeah exactly like it's this very uh, uh, new age environment that we live in that is taking things for granted and uh, it's it's, it's, it's fragile everyone is very fragile yeah yeah, yeah, that's, true. <laughs> yeah that's like one of our main things with our boys like trying to expose them to f- opportunities to fail every day yes. you know and letting them know that that that's a great thing like Oh yes, are we are we gonna are we gonna learn right now? You know, learn. like this we're gonna learn. This is great. Yes. Failure, yay! Exactly. You know, yeah. and it's just like having that perception because I think yeah, that's just like the culture that we live in. So it's really important for us to to um to do that with our boys. Um, let's talk. I just w- lastly before we you know before we finish up here, I have like kind of a two part question about fasting. Um, how often do you do extended fasts? If you do, um. And what are you kind of focusing on on these fasts? And and lastly, I know that you talk a lot about, I've seen it on your Instagram, you know, what may or may not break a fast. And this is always an interesting topic for us, especially because people fast for so many different reasons. So can you just talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that? Yeah. 
Um, well, personally, um, I myself uh, have these extended fasts uh, only when I'm like in this environment that yeah. is taken that is out of my own like habitual setting. Like I'm not really like I'm I'm already healthy and I don't have like any disease, so right. I'm not forced to have these extended fasts all the time. Right. So usually I would have them when I'm like traveling overseas or when I'm like just you know finishing work too late and it's it's you know just impractical for me to eat uh, or something like that. So they kind of they when they do a, approach, then I'll just do it. But I'm not like really uh, having them on a consistent basis all the time. But usually I would still say that maybe like once a quarter. Uh, that's that's a good uh, good uh, amount for having like a two to three day fast for most okay. people for like just maintenance purposes. Right. If you are if you're but if you're trying to lose fat or if you have like some serious disease, then you may want to have them a bit more often, so to say, that just to just to have these days where you're uh, giving your digestion a break and you're burning a bunch of calories. But yeah, in most cases, I'm at, by this year I've had maybe like th- uh, I've had like four three day fasts and a, a couple of forty eight hour fasts. So yeah, like they just happen, and I'll probably have like several several uh, in the ne- in, in the upcoming months as well. But yeah, that's that's usually what I would say. Try to get at least like a once a quarter, which would in total like three to four fasts. Uh, per year, per year. but uh, when it comes to breaking a fast then uh, that depends again like what's the goal of the fast so there are some some things that you know don't affect the facet physiology almost at all like you know black coffee green tea herbal teas water and uh, apple cider vinegar they don't really affect the fast state they actually promote it they promote the topic as well to a certain extent so uh, those things are kind of allowed regardless of what's the purpose of the fast but then there's things that depend on the particular goals. So if you're trying to lose fat, then you're and you're not really worried about autophagy, then you can even you know, you in that case, then you can have like bulletproof coffee. You can have you can have PCAs. You can have pre-workout, whatever whatever it is. You can have diet coke because you don't really care about autophagy. You care only like fat loss. And if those things help you to fast for longer, then I, I don't see like any. You know problems with it as long as it's not going to you know uh, make you overconsume calories or it's not going to give you some digestive problems or something. But if you're trying to get like autophagy, then uh, things like PCAs will definitely stop it. And uh, you know artificial sweeteners tend to disrupt the microbiome as well to a certain extent, and that indirectly can interfere with autophagy. So uh, in that case, you like if you want want to be 100% safe for autophagy, then you can just have. Uh, water, mineral water, some coffee and some teas. But if you're just like to maybe, uh, you know, you're going through like a longer fast and you're just wanting to induce a huge calorie deficit, then drinking like a, a can of Diet Coke isn't going to break you in a sense. But at the right. same time, it's it's not something that I recommend either. Like it's just I think that would make me hungrier. Right? Yeah, yeah, right? I feel like hungry. it would probably it make does. me hungry. Yeah. I've spoken about that like after yeah. dinner. Let's say I eat a dinner and then I have a Diet Coke and I was full and now all of a sudden I'm ready to go again. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. That's a, yeah, that's a good point that, you know, uh, some people even get like this insulin response from consuming artificial sweeteners, whereas others don't. And uh, yeah, some people get like additional cravings when they do those. So you have to kind of know what's, how do you, you know, individually respond to them? Yeah, and I, I've I've had, you know, I understand there's certain there's certain topics that that you you kind of have to just choose a side um, if it's important to you. 
And I've chosen to, to basically say that, you know, we're not going to consume artificial sweeteners or non-caloric sweeteners at all, even if they're not quote unquote artificial. I, I don't know how that, that escapes the, um, escapes them. If it's still, in my opinion, like stevia is still artificial because it's not, it's not the leaf, but right. you know, people, there's always, again, there's nuance like, okay, I have, I'm a type one diabetic. I want something sweet every now and then. And it's harder for me to manage my insulin with, if I do honey or if I do maple syrup, but I can do erythritol and I'm just fine. And I, I get that. And I, I totally get that. And then I've also had people say, well, you're, you're promoting this ascetic nonsense. And I'm like, how is it, <laughs> how is it ascetic if I'm, I'm enjoying the rich taste of foods? I'm just changing what my palate asks me for. And so I, 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 but I still like, I, I, I stand by it and I think I'm going to add another, um, piece to that, which is what you just said. You know, if you are fasting for autophagy or even if you're intermittent fasting and you want to have some sort of autophagy, um, kind of all the time, a little bit, maybe, um, you know, if you, if you consume a coffee with a, with a stevia in the morning, it's no longer harmless because you are impacting your autophagy so that i'm adding that one <laughs> yeah yeah I, I do agree that it's easier to kind of skip those things altogether and when you do it then you actually experience uh, this hedonic reset almost that uh, your taste buds get uh, less stimulated and you start to enjoy the bland food a lot more and you, yes. don't, you don't you don't need the kind of fireworks all the time <laughs> your, your, exactly it's so true your, your own subjective happiness actually increases because your uh, your threshold for happiness is lower if that makes sense yes yes you literally just like he put into words what, what i was trying to think right with our kids which yeah. was like that I, like they're not so needy but it's yeah. the way you give them speaking. a banana now and they're like oh my yeah, god yeah like my kids you give them a banana and it's literally the best day of their entire life you know <laughs> where these other kids that are eating you know blue and sour punch and imagine like all these crazy flavors that were created in the lab it's like you, you, if you just see the commercials, you know, like Doritos. Yeah, everything's like, you know, like punch you in the face. And so, of course, you give these kids like, and it's funny because I've seen like parents try to bribe their kids with fruit. And I can tell that the kid probably doesn't eat well because they're like not. They're yeah, like, they're I'm like, not like, come on, we got to go. I've got enough. some fruit. And the kid's yeah. like, if, if that's my kid, they're like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. that. I love that. Man, seriously, like I want to let you know, man. I I respect the crap out of you, man. I think you're I think you're brilliant, and I I just I feel like we can talk forever. Yeah, we could be here um, every single thing, every topic you talk about. I'm always like I'm always learning, and I'm always you just have a great way of of just putting these things into words and and describing them. So I'm so thankful that we had this podcast with you. But where can people find you online? And is there anything you have coming up that we should be aware of? Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks. And I'm really uh, inspired by your work as well. Like you're doing a good job at, you know, teaching your kids how to stay healthy and uh, how to stay mentally tough. Even at the, you know, that's something that I wish <laughs> that I learned a lot sooner, although I, you can say that I learned it quite quickly. But yeah, that's <laughs> something that I think like every child should definitely learn from. And yeah, thanks for having me. Um, you can find my uh, all my work at my blog, seamland.com, like articles and uh, podcasts. But on the other social media platforms like YouTube and Instagram, it's also Seamland. I don't have any. I don't have anything like particular um, new that is coming out. But yeah, I'm doing some speaking and uh, just spreading some more uh, information about the things that we talked about today. 
Awesome. I man. love it. We'll make sure to put it all in the show notes and all that. So everyone can find you. All right. Well, thanks again, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. <laughs>